0: Hands up, who's become a bit mystified by all of the different terms and acronyms out there in the world that in some way relate to climate change and global warming? This industry in particular is awash with them. If that's the case, then this is the conversation for you, as we go on a journey to debunk energy transition. And who better to do that with than Kentec's recently appointed Chief Energy Transition Officer, John Kent. Energy transition sustainability, renewables, ESG, this episode helps to demystify it all and gets to the crux of why the burning of fossil fuels and traditional ways of producing energy are so persuasive. I'm Joe Hennigan, head of marketing at Kentech and someone who's known John for many years. He's become a bit of a legend in Kentech, having worked here for over 20 years, first in operational roles in Mexico and Kazakhstan before moving into business development and strategy. He's a very humble and an intensely private person. So to get the opportunity to bring a bit of his magic to the world like this has been a huge honor for me. So join me on this journey, finding out more about the man who will forge our path forward in energy transition. This is Spark Generation. John, uh, thanks for joining us on Spark Generation.
1: Thank you very much, Joe. Uh, it's fantastic to join. Um, I've been an avid listener for the last while, so it's actually good to, shall we say, get to the other side of the mic. Um, so yeah, um,
0: we, um, we've got so much to talk about. So much to talk about. Um, can we dive right in and just kick off with you telling us a little bit about yourself and who you share your life with?
1: Sure. Um so I am 46 years old. I'm married to the fantastic Mora. Um we've been married about 12 years. Uh we've got two kids. We've got um Amelia who turns 11 next month. Um and then we've got Elena who turns well she's 9 she turns 10 in September. So two great kids. Um they're obsessed with uh, animals and rescuing animals. And indeed, I, it's, it's the the house seems to be a growing a growing menagerie of pets. Um, we now, in the last kind of six months or so, we've adopted uh, or indeed rescued kind of two cats and indeed a, a a dog as well. So hopefully that might be the end of it. But uh, the kids are obsessed by it, so and it gives them a bit of fun. So that's yeah. why I share my life with, um, and uh, we we live in Dubai. So that's that's gorgeous. Awesome. Yes, gorgeous we're lucky. We're lucky
0: as a family. It is um, But you, you're from a big family
1: yourself, aren't you? What was life like growing up? Yeah, so I'm one of six um, I, and I'm the youngest, um, which brings its own profile, I suppose. Um, growing up was good. I, my father was on the road a lot. He worked hard, um, was away a lot, um, as I suppose a lot of families have experienced in this business. Um, so my, I suppose the, the bulk of the rearing, um, kind of uh, it, it lay on my mother's doorstep. Um so she's a fantastic lady continues to be um and uh, she's actually should be eighty five in about uh in a couple of weeks' time um so uh, so my growing up one of six um last on the line, so you end up probably getting away with a bit more than probably the rest did, and also you end up i suppose plowing your your own furrow to a, to a large degree um i think at, yeah. by the time your parents get to number six, they've kind of forgotten about. <laughs> what to do so uh,
0: oh, yes. i feel like that after number three it's like,
1: <laughs> yeah i can get um, that i can get that
0: yeah your mom and dad are both big personalities though how do you think that they've influenced you personally
1: yeah i suppose uh, naturally they've been not massive influences in my life um, uh, each in their own way um, i suppose my mother um, given that she did the bulk of the rearing um, she instilled in us, and in me in particular, probably great values. Um, great values around fairness, what's right, what's wrong, um, and also actually very hard work ethic. If you've got six kids running around the house going crazy, you need to have a hard work ethic uh, to keep everything on the straight and narrow. Um, so I think that's yeah. probably what my mother, my mother brought to me. Um, my father, I, my father had, he has got that entrepreneurial gene. Um, which I think has existed throughout his life. Um, and probably also kind of a, a love of travel and of the international world. Um, I think, I think my dad really, really has that and he, he still has it now in his 86th year. So, um, they, I think that's what they, they brought. Oh, also yeah. uh, probably another big influence in my life is actually my brother, Michael. Um, my brother, Michael actually suffers from schizophrenia. And um, his resilience and grit um, has always been quite inspirational, if I'm honest about it. Um, it's a tough disease, yeah. but um, he's, he, he handles it with um, uh, with great
0: grace. Oh, that's lovely. Um, you're talking a little bit about your family there, and we know that there's a really strong family history. The Kent name is synonymous in this industry. So tell us a little bit like that about that. What, what? How did how did the Kents come into this industry? What's your family history
1: there? Yeah, look, it's quite a story. Um, originally, my grandfather was the first one who entered the business. Um, he, his father was a farmer in um, in a small village in in in, in the south of Wexford. Um, actually, not a million miles away from where um, uh, John F. Kennedy's um, family, were or actually originally came from. So he was a farmer, uh, or his dad was, his dad was a farmer, and he he um, he started out as an electrician. Um, so very very humble beginnings. Um, Ireland at that stage was was a very young nation. Well, it wasn't a nation on on its own at that stage, but very much an agrarian country. Uh, wasn't that wealthy? Um, times were tough. Um, so he went off service time as an electrician. And, in his spare time, or at least legend has it in his spare time, he used to um love to play cards, so he was actually a big poker player and in somewhere around nineteen nineteen early nineteen nineteen legend has it that he won a poker classic in Clonmel, which was probably uh it's probably about i don't know seventy kilometers away from where he was born, and he stayed on for a couple of pints. That night, and uh, to to celebrate, and, and legend has is that he actually took those winnings as the seed capital to start a um, an electrical business called MFT. I
0: Kent. did not know that? Well, yeah. so interesting.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. And now look, it, look, there, there might be a little bit of fable, and it is stuck in the middle of that. But it's it's a story that I must say I love. Um, yeah. So again, legend has is that he missed the train home, and uh, Clonmel at that stage was kind of one of the one of the towns in the country that. Um, I was going through a little bit of kind of an early stage industrial boom. So he stayed on, um, he started MF Kent in 1919, uh, and that very much focused on the electrification of, of Ireland. Um, so that was the the first foray. Um, so he, he ran the business for the following couple of decades, um, building it up to probably about a thousand people across Ireland. Um, then he unfortunately he died quite young. He died of a heart attack in 1945, and um, his brother took it over. Um, David. David then ran it, but David was an accountant. We all love accountants, but they're 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 they're, they're a different ilk. And um, uh, he, the business actually ended up, continued, but it, it came down in size. Um, and then my father, who probably was probably a little bit of a wild child as a kid, um, given his father had passed away at ten when he was ten and uh, had um, had his his own kind of unique unique uh, wild gene he ended up joining <laughs> he'd served his time as an electrician he left the business went back to college and then uh, then um, frank rejoined the business in in the early 1960s and at that stage it was only probably 10 or 15 people um I, but the base the. The base business was was strong in terms of what they did. They were known for good services and, and then Frank took that business uh, initially in Ireland in the following decade but then more importantly internationally. Um, it again very much focused on electrical services. Uh, at that stage Ireland was really beginning to take off um, and indeed uh, my father he's very much a relationship. One of his key skills is, is relationship management and building and building honest and strong relationships he ended up building um, a very good relationship with um, actually one of the bechtel family who had been in ireland building some of the early pharmaceutical plants and the um i think it was steve bechtel steve bechtel suggested to my father well why don't you look at saudi arabia Um, there's a lot of work coming up there in the oil and gas sector so in the late 60s early 70s on the back of that uh, my father took what was then mf kent um, internationally and really internationalized a model that probably my grandfather had built. Um, so they, and MF Kent at that stage just went from strength to strength. Um, and then, so my father ran it until the late eighties. And at that stage he'd been away from home a lot, built a great business employing, I don't know, three, four or 5,000 people, uh, working across three or four continents Um, and uh, however, that had come at a cost and the cost was spending a lot of time away from the family. Um, And indeed, it's it's, in a sense, it's a, that cost echoes um, in the business that we're in today, where we've got people who were on long rotations, working away from home, et cetera. So it's something that my father knew and indeed we knew as as kids. Um, So he decided, you know what? I've uh, I've built a great business, uh, but it's time to actually um, uh, spend a bit more time with my family. So he ended up exiting uh, MF Kent, and then that changed. It would change its name at its name at that stage to Kent's, and then Kent's went on a different journey. Which, funny enough, we're we're in a sense we're kind of rounding out that circle later this year. Um, Yeah, yeah. So that's the.
0: The next stage of the journey is about to begin but um, yeah so the history began well it was over 100 years ago now wasn't it Electrifying Ireland and then the company kind of grew up in the oil and gas business and um, took it international and it, and I really want to I really want to sachet away from this conversation and delve into all of the stories around Saudi Arabia and Wellington boots and I, I like the things, we'll, John Cavanaugh we'll, we'll, story, we'll absolutely. We'll go absolutely. Go we started telling all of Frank's stories.
1: Yeah. I, I agreed in full, um, and look, there's yeah. th- there's probably a podcast series on its on its own there. Um, oh uh, god, and, yeah,
0: definitely. Um, but so, yeah, so we grew up in the oil and gas business, took it international, and now we're kind of going into taking the business into a new phase, and it's a phase where. The world is demanding a new kind of energy. Um, I mean, I feel like the focus on this has sharpened quite dramatically over the past year with everything that's happened with COVID, but the world's known for a long time that there needs to be a shift away from fossil fuels. So I guess I've got two kind of key questions here. First of all, can you explain to me in your words why you think... um, the world needs to shift away from its reliance on fossil fuels. And then secondly, why is this shift taking place so slowly? Like what, why is oil and gas so persuasive?
1: Yeah, so the first part of the question is really simple. Um, Right now, the world relies, 80% of the world's energy generation um, comes from oil and gas. It produces carbon, carbon goes up into the atmosphere and it, uh, the ultimate net effect is that it increases the temperature of the of, of the planet um that's why we've got to move away from it um the challenge is is that much of the quality of life that we enjoy is based upon cheap energy and indeed you've got you've got a growing population in africa a growing population in in asia that have the right to the same quality of life as we do hence they need cheap energy mm-hmm. so that's that's kind of one of the challenges there In terms of, well, why is oil and gas so persuasive and why does it continue? Um, If, if you think about it, and I'd I'd answer this actually with a question uh, for you, Joe. Um, If I was to sell you my physical output for the next four and a half working years. Okay. So I go out and I'll dig the garden for you. I'll pick up your messages. I'll do all, all the physical work you need, need me to do. How much would you actually pay me for? Ten thousand hours of of what i'm going of my physical output, how much would you pay me
0: oh that is a really interesting question um if i'm honest, probably not that much
1: <laughs> thanks Joe
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult one though isn't it because i always i don't know i always struggle to um
1: To pay for
0: things that I know I could do myself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, but
1: now let's put it this way. Every, every morning I'll come in and I'll give you, um, 10 hours work and then I'll go away in the evening. So, and it's pick up your messages, dig the garden, whatever physical work you need done. So how much will you pay me to do that for, I'll do 10 hours a day. So for the next thousand days.
0: Um, I would pay say ten pounds an hour. You're generous.
1: (laughs) Grand. So so (laughs) so yeah, I I actually (laughs) think that's generous. That's that's (laughs) generous. The um, and and you'll see you'll see why in a second. So that so you 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 will pay me a hundred grand then for that. So ten thousand hours by by ten pounds, right? The thing is, is that what you should actually pay me is about sixty three dollars. So that's the, that's today's cost of a barrel of oil in a barrel of oil. You get 10,000, the the equivalent of 10,000 physical output hours from a human. Now for me, that's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing that you can turn around for 60, 65 bucks. You can actually get that type of output. Okay. So therein lies the challenge with the, with the oil and gas business is because it's just so good and it's powered. the last century of development for the Western world and and indeed the global economy. That's the challenge. Now on top of that, um, I was only offering 10 hours per day. Then I would go away and I'd sleep. Okay. Oil doesn't sleep. It's there all the time. When the sun goes down, you can turn it on. When the wind doesn't blow, you can, you can, you can turn it on. Okay. Then the third issue is, is that, um, given that it's been there for a century, it's embedded in everything we do, so it's embedded in in terms of how we drive to work, how the cars are fueled. It's embedded in the plastics that we that that uh, that cover a lot of the stuff we 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 uh, that we purchase. So it's embedded in everything we we do. So yes, we need to move away. Yes, there's a wish in the world. I I, I, I there there's the wish to move away. However, it's so ingrained in life. It's actually so cheap that it's very difficult to do so. So therein lies the problem.
0: I've never, I've never heard it put like that before It actually makes me feel even more kind of scared, not scared. That sounds like a really, but it is quite a scary proposition, isn't it? Because, um, you hear people just kind of throw out terms that talk about this with things like renewables, energy transition, sustainability, it makes it sound so simple. It makes it sound so simple when you're just thinking, you know, there's loads of wind offshore of the UK. What's the big problem? Why can't we capture that? Why wouldn't you do it? There's loads of sun in places like the Middle East. What's the problem? Why can't we just throw up a load of solar panels? Like, you've really kind of brought it into a sharper focus as to what the actual problem is that I've never really thought about it before um but to start to make that can you first of all what is all of these terms that people use what's the difference are they all the same thing when people talk about renewables and sustainability and energy transition are they effectively talking about the same thing there's so many buzzwords out there that it can get a bit a, a bit buzzwordy, buzz wordy like kind of thinking- uh, absolutely it, it it is
1: buzzwordy and indeed i suppose it sells newspapers and it 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 gets people onto podcasts like this if we're honest <laughs> about it um the but look if we start with okay energy transition what's energy transition so uh, it's it's the move away from hydrocarbon based energies to a more sustainable or carbon neutral um powered world now Can we ever be ultimately totally carbon neutral? Even if you think about wind, okay, to make the turbines power and carbon is power is required. Um, So we'll always have an element of carbon that goes into the atmosphere. However, it's about trying to bring it down to a sustainable level and it's not at a sustainable level today Um, in terms of another term that's so it's about that transition, it's going to take it's going to take many, many years and indeed probably decades to fully move away. There's going to be different components. One is trying to actually decarbonize the current 80%, the 80% that comes from hydrocarbon, decarbonize it as we as we transition over. There's also going to be an element of trying to increase the pace of, of wind, of solar, of other new energies. Like, well, I wouldn't say new energies, but hydrogen, it's not a new energy, but it's it's something that may become uh, more common. Um a but it's about that journey that we're all on and i i suppose ultimately what what is success for energy transition energy transition the the definition of energy transition success is when actually the transition drops out of energy transition then you're just left with energy that we're all comfortable with and mm-hmm. we're all happy with um, another term that's kicked around quite a bit is esg um, mm-hmm. environmental social and governance um, which is more than in my mind, at least it's more. It's more than just energy transition. Um, environmental is look like how we live our lives, how we go about our work, etc. In Kentech, so is, few-
0: is this where the term um, net zero comes in? All all companies in this industry seem to be talking a lot about net zero. Is this more linked to the SGO? Is it a, a part of both?
1: Uh, it's part of both, to be to be honest. Like The energy transition is facilitating the journey towards net zero. Um, ESG is, I suppose, trying to do it in a socially responsible manner. And also, it adds an element of governance in terms of, well, how do we manage um, that transition in an, in an ethical, responsible way? Um, uh, so, at least, that's how I view it. I'm sure there are many other views out there, but that's how I view it. And then sustainability, which is another one that's kicked around quite a lot. Sustainability is almost everything. Like it's about us living sustainable lives, um, companies living sustainable lives. If you think about a company living a sustainable life, it means it has to have a sustainable market that's going to be there in 20 or 30 years time. It's about having a sustainable, sustainable opportunity for its employees. It's about giving a sustainable return to its shareholders, et cetera. So sustainable is a very broad brush term, at least in my mind. Um, but yeah. when but when you apply to any particular function or aspect of a business or of life, then it can get very granular
0: are there any are there any um sort of new predictions out there about when we talk about transition and you were talking about the shift between when it stops being called transition and it's just energy i've seen um I've seen over the year loads of lots of kind of graphs with predictions on. When that transition's going to take place, and when we're going to be less reliant on um fossil fuels, I feel like there's been a lot of i don't know whether there's been a lot of extra work done over the past year on this, but the um the companies involved in this seem to be certainly being a hell of a lot more vocal about it so is it in in your opinion do you think there's going to be a certain time is it going to be in you know twenty years time thirty years time fifty years time that that shift to less of a reliance on fossil fuels is going to happen. Yeah. Or is it impossible to predict that right now? No,
1: look the, well, I think the way that it's been modeled is, is that if we are to ensure that the planet does not warm by more than two degrees, that the 80-20 model currently 80% of our energy is generated from oil and gas, 20% from other sources that must invert it must be actually eighty twenty in the other way within about twenty five to thirty years. Wow. Okay. Right, okay. Now bear in mind that eighty twenty shift is it's not is in an environment where the total demand for power and electricity will go up substantially because you've got I don't know the bones of a billion people or certainly eight or nine hundred million people in in uh, in developing countries that don't have access to electricity and of course they're going to need it and they should have it. So that's going to come onto the market. Um, whereas if you look on so there's going to be a massive new demand there, whereas just say in Europe or the US, where populations are much more steady and it's already available, the demand won't it probably increase that that much in those markets, but other markets it'll increase substantially.
0: Okay. You've just literally throwing a load of truth bombs at me right now, and I'm just trying to absorb all the information that you're giving me. So we know that the world's shifting. Um, we know that energy transition is becoming um, more and more important, and this, this industry that we're in is is right at the um, the heart of it all. So that's why the recent announcement that we just made last week about your changing role, um, so you're gonna be leading the charge for, for us in the new business as Chief Energy Transition Officer. How did we come to that decision? to really make that firm commitment to say that we're going to have, this is going to be like play a huge part of the future business and, and, you know, really lay down that commitment.
1: Yeah. I, it was a bit of a journey, I'll be honest with you. Um, and the journey probably started 12 months ago, as we were beginning to look at the, the acquisition, uh, that we've now signed. Um, initially when we started that journey, we were focused on, or we thought that we would we were actually buying the old kent's business and uh, we we're very happy with that it would very much give us an opportunity to consolidate scale and capacity right uh, of what, around what we do however as we kind of we we dealt a bit deeper we kind of figured out you know what there's a lot of engineering capability coming with this the snc heritage uh, which is a great heritage admirable heritage um we said so that there's a huge engineering capability coming also, particularly with the high value engineering center in India. So we said, do you know what? There's actually a lot more we can do. do. you know what? We can broaden our services a lot more than we can offer. And then there was the next stage when we figured out, do you know what? There's a really cool portion of the old Atkins business that is also coming. And this kind of blew our minds. I remember sitting down with Gilly and we were kind of going, we thought this was good, then it got better. And then we went, wow, do you know what? This actually changes. Kentek, or the company, the newco, whatever we call it, this this just changes everything for us because before it was very much about consolidation and an enhancement, but now we can actually take a step beyond that, where we can really legitimately and honestly be part of changing a business that needs to change or changing a sector that needs to change, kind of almost to help change it from the inside out. So with and the, the Atkins side, you got you've got wind you've got hydrogen capability um, you've also got carbon capture and storage and my guess is there's probably a lot more even much beyond that that over the next 12 18 24 months that we can really develop and build out where we can truly and honestly say that we are at the core of energy transition so that was the kind of the journey as we went through the acquisition and then as the acquisition became highly likely to come to pass Kind of last December, last January, as we were kind of really honing in on on finalizing finalizing purchase documents. Kind of, again, um, uh, Gilly and I were sitting down and going like, would, "Okay, the the most immediate things that we've got to address are integration. Actually, even before that, is trying to get the culture right of the new company and making sure that yeah. everybody is moving forward together as a as, as, as a single team." So it's trying to get that culture right. Then it's the integration mechanics around systems, processes, and all that good stuff that's necessary. Um, and they're all immediate needs. And then we were sitting back one evening over a drink and we're saying, well, look, what is the biggest strategic challenge that we're going to face? Once we get all of that stuff right, get the culture, right, get the systems right, all of that good stuff, what's going to be the single biggest challenge we're going to face over the next five, 10 years. And call it whatever you want it's energy transition it's a fundamental existential uh, threat to or opportunity more in my mind an opportunity for us to to grow and change and to actually do something that's good um so uh, that's that was the genesis of it really um and um it's 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 super cool it's super exciting and and then again Gilly and i had the debate around like are we going to be honest about this because there's plenty of greenwashing out there if we're honest about it and Mm -hmm. uh, so yes we we committed to being honest about it and we we don't have all the answers we're not going to be perfect but we will go on an honest journey and um, we'll try and make uh, a little bit of a difference
0: it is exciting it's really exciting it's i mean I can't imagine how exciting it is for you to kind of lead the charge in this, Um, even just as somebody who works for the business. Like, and I've had these conversations with a few colleagues as well that you know we we all as individuals in the world we're all becoming more and more aware of how we can be um, kind of better environmental citizens, and each individual person can play their part in helping to make a, a safer future generation for our children and our children's children. And then I always had this thing at the back of my mind of thinking, I can do all the recycling I like, but I still work for an island gas business. You know, there's always it's always become that thing. So it feels, it feels really, really good to actually feel like we're affecting part of that change now in the way that the future's going for the, for the business and being part of that. Um. And I keep on thinking about um, the next generation of people coming into the industry as well, because, um, you know, the world is changing, the industry is changing, and this is going to be what people want. They're going to want to work, you know, as and, and be part of that energy transition. So um, if you were thinking about kind of the graduates coming out of engineering college or The next, just the next generation of people coming into this industry. What, what does our future company have to offer them?
1: I, to be honest, an immense amount. Um, And indeed, I think part, certainly an aspect of why we've made the decision to invest around energy transition has been the recognition by the senior team that the next generation is demanding it. So the young engineers coming in into the business, they demand a more a more energy neutral or just a, a more responsible business. So, I think I think we can offer we offer that. Um, we can offer we, we also offer the ability to what skill sets you bring into the table and that you develop within your own region. You can go international. So, the, one of the beautiful things about about um, or about the company is is that you have okay. A you're going to be working in a cool space energy transition, or you'll have the opportunity to do that. B, you'll be able to actually travel the world. If, if you are living in London then you know what, there's an opportunity in Australia with Kentech. absolutely let's, let's try and facilitate that. Um, so it's, it's giving people exposure, giving people opportunity. Um, and, uh, the third thing is that, I, I, is that you will have voice, um, you'll have voice to have an impact, um, very happy for, uh, anybody to reach out to me and and join me on the journey. I certainly don't have all the answers. I've got a couple. Of, I've got plenty of questions, but um, I certainly don't have all the answers. Mm. And uh, so I'm looking forward to um, welcome, welcoming welcoming uh, the broader team and joining me on the journey.
0: It's it's so exciting. It's um it's going to be a really really interesting next couple of years, and I can't wait to see it, and I can't wait to be a part of it. Um, I'm going to throw some quickfire questions at you. Oh, oh this sounds um, like trouble now, Joe. This is going to be really cool. And um, I'm totally stealing it off David Tui, who did it on his last podcast with Chris Bustle. Um Yeah, it's going to be part of the new, <laughs> new programme for the podcast, but absolutely love it. So here we go. Who is the person that you admire the most and why?
1: I actually think that's an unfair question, right? And let me explain why. Because um, there are so, like, there's so many people out there that you see part of them, and you go, "Wow, that's." I think that's amazing. Like, so I, I can give you five, ten names, or okay, I will give you three or four names. Like, you, 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 you look at the likes of a Josee Muhammad Ali, who obviously had the sporting prowess, which is kind of cool, but that's actually not the not uh, not what brings him to mind, brings him to mind is, is his willingness to kind of take a stand and even when it cost him heavily, he um, stuck with it, uh, quite an amazing character, um, there's other people out there, um, Alexand- Alexander Hamilton, I'm a big fan of, who was one of the founding fathers of the US and indeed put uh, much kind of he, he set much of the ethos that still lives and resides in the us today 250 300 odd years later um jesus other characters there's nelson mandela somebody who again who um uh who with great humility um and uh, and also a great story himself who went through a lot of like a, he went through from everything from a pretty much uh, aggressive um stance against apartheid through to great humility and reconciliation. They are amazing people. Um uh, yeah. and then and then there's the day to day person, the, the day that people like my mother who, you know, raise a great family, give them good values, um, people like my father who goes out and uh develops a great company, gives people opportunity. You know, there's it, it, almost everybody has has kind of an, an aspect of their life that you go, wow, that's kind of cool. That's kind of inspiring. So I haven't quite answered your question, but I I gave you many names.
0: Yeah, but I I totally get what you're saying because we as individuals, it's our, it's our, it's almost like our mission in life. It's our human right to find out as many, you know, the stories of as many of these people as possible. That's what I feel kind of enriches my life more by finding, finding out about these people and finding out other people's stories. Agreed. Okay. Second question. Tell me a habit or a ritual that you do that either improves your life or helps you to perform better.
1: Now that's an easier one. Um, exercise. I'll be honest with you. I, I I try to get to the gym most mornings. It's it's for I would I would say more a uh, kind of a, a shuffle on the treadmill than a than a serious run. But it's just um, it you, you, at times you don't feel like doing it, but uh, you get up. You do it, you get off the treadmill, and you just feel a lot better. And it just sets you up properly for the day, and it resets your mind. Um, so that's 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 an easy one. That's an easy one.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just can't get myself to do it at the moment. Yeah, I'm <laughs> like in down. I it's don't know to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Third question: What is one leadership trait that you believe to be undervalued in the corporate world?
1: Um, grit. um e, There's okay. There's huge focus around. Well, there's often you talk about the superstar CEOs, etc., and they're kind of larger than life, and which is fantastic. I think charisma is, is is a fantastic thing to have. Um, naturally, leadership uh, is about communication. Um, that's kind of almost a given. But great, kind of figuring out um, how to work through really, really tough, tough situations. It's often it's often kind of brushed under the carpet because it's it's kind of when um, when things really get tough and when the tough gets going, it's it can be it can be easy to just kind of I suppose paint over it. Um, so for me, it's great.
0: I think that the last twelve months have certainly um, shown a lot of people with grit across the world yes. in many, many, many walks of life. Um, yeah, I agree with you on that. So, um, question four, if you could be on the ground floor of any company in history, which one would it be?
1: Well, look, there's the, there's the easy answer to that, which is Kentic of course.
0: Um,
1: outside of that, outside of that, um, I would actually pick it's it's not quite well it is it is a company of a sort um in the 1960s when the when kennedy made his 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 rice university speech around um going to the moon to have joined nasa i think around that time and to have it work through the whole apollo mission that would be cool that would be amazing you're dealing with really highbrow engineering you're dealing with a greater Um, a greater mission, a greater cause. Um, you're dealing with people from all over the world. There was a lot of, there's a lot of non-Americans involved in the program. Um, and I, I think that would have been cool. That would have been cool.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Final question. Tell me three people living or dead you would love to have to dinner.
1: Do they have to be from the same era or can they be from any
0: era? Oh, no, any, any three people, it can be a complete mashup.
1: Okay. Um, I will, I go with a the theme because I'll be honest with you, again, there's so many people out there that, you, that it would be amazing to have dinner with. Um, I go with the theme, energy and kind of ethics and energy transition and ethics, etc. Um I, the three people I pick are: as one is Rockefeller, founder of Standard Oil, which, um, a, of course, Exxon is the is the the most well known of its of the seven sisters. Chevron uh, also is part of that family, but one of the founding fathers of the, of the of the oil and gas business. Um, I'd match him with Robin, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, who uh, was the program manager for the atomic bomb, Uh, again, an energy that, um, uh, well, it brings its own challenges. And here was a guy that Oppenheimer had grown up, he was, his parents were um, uh, emigrants and uh, made their way to the States. His father done quite well. He actually grew up in a, in a house that had um, literally had uh, Monet's and Van, Van Gogh on the wall before they were actually known. So a, a very broad education. And then he ended up having to deal with the great uh, ethical dilemma of uh, of what atomic energy is. Um, and then I'd mix them in with a philosopher, um, Spinoza, um, who's very much, uh, uh, who lived a righteous life based on ethics. And I think if you put those three into a room and just sit back, have a nice glass of wine and watch. It'll be mind blowing, uh, particularly given.
0: Trust uh, you, John moment. Kent, to try and think of a fantasy dinner party, but put people together who you think would like have similar interests.
1: I, 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 <laughs> and but, but, but very much competing ones, you know. These, I think, you got the um, to try and put some sense around some of the, I suppose, the whole energy space, etc. It's yeah. and, and put some ethics around it. I think I, I think that will be kind of cool.
0: And I'm sure you would be a great contributor to that conversation as we start to. I I, I, I just, listen.
1: Yeah, just listen. now just let sit back and listen. Yeah. Um, uh, they're great minds, so uh, I just sit back and listen.
0: Listen, it's been an absolutely fantastic conversation. Thanks for opening my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't know about um, the energy industry and energy transition. I think we're all in really safe hands with you leading the charge for us going forward. So, thanks a lot, John. Thank
1: you very much, and really looking forward to it, and um, looking forward to everybody joining, joining me on the journey. Yeah. Pleasure as ever, Joe.
0: John has got such a rational and strategic brain, and I took so much value in the way he made some of the issues in this episode so relatable. He also happens to be an absolute gent. The transformation of the energy industry is something we all want to be a part of. We want to be a catalyst for energy transition. We know that the sustainability of our planet only happens with consistent action. The world will not be a better place if we close our eyes and dream of unicorns. We know it will be if we, as a collective, make it that way. And that's something that's so exciting. If you enjoyed this episode of Spark Generation, please hit subscribe. Until next time, stay safe.